If you were interviewing for a job, one of the common questions the interviewers ask is this, what motivates you? you know, what, what gets you going? What's, what stirs you? What makes you want to get up in the morning? What makes you want to push through when it's hard? What really drives you? Psychologists refer to this primary motivation as one's chief motivating factor. Down at the core, there's something or, or someone, some value, some belief, some perception that most of your actions are tied back to. At the core, what pushes you to do what you do, to be who you are? That's your chief motivating factor. And the reason I share that with you today is this, is I'm sort of processing through these multiple trials of Paul. And this is the fifth one. When we look at Paul just continuing to push forward, pushing forward, pushing forward, and we look at the great cost that he endured as a result, and the personal loss and the suffering, what drove him, what pushed him? And then I started thinking this, this is my fear just a bit, that we look at Paul's life, and as amazing as it is for us, we sort of put him up on a pedestal, and he's a spiritual superhero of the sort that none of us could ever be. And if we're not careful, maybe even subconsciously, we start to disconnect ourselves from the example that he's actually setting for us. When one of the fundamental principles he taught was this, you follow me even as I follow Christ. So to what degree can you and I follow Paul's example as he follows Christ? Because we're not likely to ever be in any situation that looks like these. We're not going to be standing before magistrates, kings, authorities. We're not going to be called to account before religious councils. Most of us are not going to be imprisoned for our faith. Most of us are not going to suffer this kind of abuse and neglect. Most of us are not going to travel to islands and nations, taking the gospel to places it's never been. So to what degree can you and I follow this, this, this example? When it comes to considering your chief motivation, your primary motivation factor, one psychologist says you can determine yours by asking these five questions. What would I do for free? I would do this if no one paid me to do this. Number two, this is what I think about first and most. You know, when I get up in the morning, this is what's on my mind. Throughout the day, this is what keeps coming back to me. This is what drives me. Number three, when I'm doing this, I really lose track of time. It just seems to fly by. I, I'm so wrapped up in it, I just get lost in it. Number four, when I'm doing this, when I'm involved in this, this is when I really feel most fulfilled. This is when I feel most like I'm doing what I'm made to do. This is who I am. It's fulfilling to me. And, and number four, I would do this if no one else knew about it or ever saw me doing it. If this was only known to God and to me, this is what I would be about. When you can answer those questions, you get a sense of what's driving you. Now, how does that relate to the Apostle Paul? I'm going to connect the dots here, I hope, for you. When Paul was imprisoned in Rome, these stories that we're seeing in Acts, and here today we're in Acts chapter 26. When Paul was imprisoned in Rome, and we know he served a two-year term while he was sort of in, in a holding pattern between Felix, the governor or procurator, and Festus. During that two years, Paul occupied himself with some important matters. I don't know if you're aware of this. One of those important matters he occupied himself with was pinning a pastoral epistle to the Philippians. 
And in that letter, Paul describes himself. And he's telling us what drives him. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is why I do it. Now, here's what I want you to be thinking as I read these verses to you this morning. When you think of Paul on trial, when you think of Paul being willing to sacrifice himself, when you think of Paul going headfirst into Rome, knowing that it could cost him everything, saying, I'm willing to die if necessary for the cause of Christ. Here's what was going on behind the scenes. This is Paul writing in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever gain I had, whatever this world had afforded me, whatever stature I had reached, whatever fortune I had amassed, whatever accomplishments I could mark as mine, whatever they were, I counted them as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now think about that for a moment. You're talking about a life that completely went a different direction. So much so that everything that he had, he said, I will let go of all of that. And it's not just tangible things. It's more of those intangible things that matter. Sense of security and, and safety, friendships and relationships, everything that I had achieved, everything that I was about, I will put all those aside for the sake of Christ because he's worth far more. He said, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now think about it just for a moment. He's well aware of what it costs to follow Jesus. He's well aware of the friendships lost, the pains inflicted. He's well aware of the, the physical scars that he bears. He's well aware of the challenges in front of him. But because he became so aware of the value of Christ, he can look back and say, that stuff is just garbage to me. I, I've lost nothing in comparison to what I've gained in Christ. He says, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul came to the realization that if he's ever going to stand before God and be acceptable to him, it will not be on his terms. It'll have to be on God's terms. All these things that I've done, my meticulous detail, my meticulous attention to the keeping of the Old Testament law, that won't save me. My self-righteousness won't save me. I have to have a righteousness outside of me, given to me. It's the righteousness that depends on Christ, granted to me through faith. Look at verse 10. This is so critical. He says, That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Are you listening for that chief motivating factor? That one thing that stirs, that one thing that every decision, every choice can be traced back to. This one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And you're saying, again, Paul, and this is a unique individual, a spiritual superstar, the apostle of the apostles. What does this have to do with me? Listen to his next statement. Let those of us who are mature think this way. The mature Christian thinks this way. This is how a mature Christian 
looks at life and the future and what God wants from him. He said, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, then this way. God will reveal that also to you. If you see life differently than this and you belong to Christ, Paul is saying, I believe God will show you what you're not seeing correctly. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. So did you hear it? Did you hear what drives Paul's life? Here's Paul in that prison in Rome. This is the backdrop. This is the behind the scenes of what's happening throughout the book of Acts. Acts only covers what we see on the surface. Luke is telling us what happened publicly. He's telling us Paul before Felix and Festus, Agrippa, and then going to Rome. What's in Paul's heart and what's driving him to persevere, to push through in all of this? Paul says, I would willingly give up everything to gain Christ. And I know there are no blanks in this, so for those of you who are used to tracking along like I normally give a message, you're not going to find these to be filled in. But I would encourage you to write down these four things. There's just a little spot of, of white space in your notes. Write down these four things that drove Paul's life. He says, this is what I'm about. And as you write these things down, I, I want you to do part of my job for me this morning. I want you to be making application of these things to your own life, to your own situation. Because your responsibilities may not match his, and your calling may not look exactly like his. But the priori priority of your life, my life, ought to be the same as his. And this is what he says. This is what I'm after. When he says, this one thing I do, what am I pressing on forward? Circle back to verse 10. What is Paul after? He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Him. That's what my life is about. It is about knowing Him. And if knowing Him means foregoing other things, if knowing Him means I'm not pursuing these other things, if knowing Him means I don't spend all of my time in lesser things, then I would willingly count them as, as rubbish. I would count valuable things as invaluable for what is most valuable. Christ. I want to know Him. And that can be the passion of your life too. You don't have to be an apostle to let that be a, a driving factor of your life. God, that I would just know You. Not just know about You. Not be able to pass tests regarding You. I love theology. I love doctrine. Theology, the study of God. Doctrine, that which is true. But theology and doctrine are necessary means to an end. We don't go around them. We don't omit them. We use them so that in our understanding about God, we would start to know God. So that when we learn great things of God, like Paul is discovering, that God's providence is at work in all of these circumstances and situations, that makes me a person who prays and trusts. That makes me a person who's fearless and obedient. Those doctrines and theologies that we learn deepen our faith and grow our love for Him. So I want to know Him, he said. Second thing Paul said is this, I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection. I want to know and experience Him. I, I want my understanding of God to not be superficial or just intellectual. Don't you want that? Man, that was a driving motivation of his life. I'm going to put myself out there so much that I'm dependent on you, God. That God, if you don't come through, I will utterly collapse. If if you don't make it happen, it's not going to happen. 
God, the mission you called me to, the work you put me to, the things you called me to say and do, and the people you want me to say them to, if it's not from you, by you, and about you, it's not going to happen. I will collapse utterly. I want to know resurrection power. Now, I know Paul is looking forward to future resurrection. And as a Christian, you and I ought to also. That ought to be a driving motivation of our life, that one day we're going to be raised with Christ. You can count on that. You can count on that. This life and all of its struggles and pains, this is not all there is to it. One day we will be raised with Him. And unless, by His mercy and grace, He should decide to come and take us first. But this we know. The dead in Christ are going to go first when He appears, but those who are alive will also meet them in the air and will forever be with the Lord Jesus. This resurrection of the dead is our promise, but not just future tense will we experience His power. You don't think Paul had a sense of God's presence and power all the time? I'm experiencing Him. How are you going to experience Him? You're not if you don't take any risks. You're not if you don't do hard things. You're not if you don't obey things that you don't understand. If we always operate in safety and security, if we only do things that we're comfortable with, things that we feel like we're good at, we're not going to experience Him. God is not looking for those people who possess the abilities to do the things that only He can do. He's looking for those people who are dependent and trusting, who will step out in faith and let Him do things. What does God want from you? You can do that. That can be a driving motivation of your life. Whatever age you are, whatever time you have left, God, that I would experience you. Paul also said this, and I'm not sure we're really ready for this one. This doesn't fit with our sort of modern understanding of who God is and what God wants from us. But you can't escape it in Paul's writings. You sure can't escape it in Paul's personal experiences. In fact, you can see from what he wrote, not only did he endure it, he also desired it. And that's to suffer for the sake of Christ. Paul wanted to suffer. Listen to what he said. He said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings. Paul wasn't just masochistic. Paul wasn't trying to justify himself or redeem himself through suffering paul didn't have this sort of neurotic idea i've done so much harm to the church when i persecuted persecuted it and i put so many in prison i wanted to see so many come to death and it wasn't just the scarring imagery he had of seeing stephen stone maybe i can undo all of that so maybe since i caused people to suffer i guess i should suffer that's not his motivation his motivation was to be so closely identified with christ and he realized that if my suffering is for him, remember what Paul said? I, I strive to be of good conscience before God and man. I mean, what Paul did was, was, was gentle and respectful in how he handled opposition. And even though he was abused and, and rejected, he still was loving towards those who wanted to be his enemies that he wanted so much to be brothers. No, it wasn't Paul's actions apart from Christ. It was Paul's actions because of Christ that caused him to suffer. And he considered that to be privilege. Man, imagine that. Imagine if you and I would say, as we face this uncertain future that we're headed towards as Christians in this world, and not just in far-off places, not just places like sub-Saharan Africa or India, the Middle East, but maybe right here, in the place we live, what if a motivating factor says, Father, I want to be so faithful to you. I, I want to be so proud of who Jesus is and what he's done for me that I would suffer for him. 
Have you ever prayed that you might suffer for the sake of Christ? That was Paul's desire, to know him, to experience, to suffer for him. And ultimately it was this, becoming like him all the way to death. Becoming like him all the way to death, to know him, to experience him, to suffer for him, to be like him. That's what drove his life. We don't have to be an apostle to want those things. You can be a truck driver and desire those things and do those things. You can be a school teacher. You can be a physician or a stay-at-home parent. You can be a business owner. You name it. You can be that and do this. This is what drove him. So when you see Paul standing there, when you see Paul testifying boldly, when you see Paul taking those risks that he took, you see what was driving it all? You see the heart of the man behind all of this, what pushed all of these things? And he says this at the very end, verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. In the end, this is what Paul hung on to. He who grasped me, I will never let go of. I'll never let go of the one who took hold of me. How could I? In Acts chapter 26, Paul tells his testimony. Again, it's the second time we've seen him tell of his testimony. We've seen it described. We've heard Paul testify to it. This is the second time. Paul's reminded, and he's sharing with others, how God took hold of him. How God invaded his world and, and took over his life. His salvation wasn't a decision for Christ. His salvation wasn't the simply raising of a hand. Or a simple prayer to be prayed. His salvation was the invasion of God who conquered him. And he, su he surrendered to Christ. And he bowed before the Almighty and he changed his life. He says, God reached down in the mercy and grace that only Christ can demonstrate. And he took hold of my life. How could I let go of him? How could I let go of him? What if that's your motivation and, and my motivation? Here's what drives me. Whatever my, whatever my job is, whatever my occupation is, or if I'm retired and I have neither now except grandparenting, whatever this may be, what drives me is to know Christ, to experience Christ in my life, to suffer if need be for Him, because I've spoken boldly of Him or for Him. Because I've taken a stand that is biblical. Because I said, here is what's right and what's true, and I won't be moved off of this. Ultimately, to be like Jesus, even if that means going all the way to death, because I'll not let go of Him who holds me. Then you and I could follow Paul as he follows Christ. Then you and I could do this very thing that he did. I want you to pray with me this morning. Father, I pray that you would shape our hearts and lives like that. That you would make us people like that. Father, I'm, I'm one of those guilty of looking at the Apostle Paul and saying, I wish, I'd love to be, I'd love to be like that. I'd love to have those kind of opportunities. I'd love to make that sort of impact. I'd love to be that, that useful to you. And Father, I believe through your word you're showing me and you're showing us all right here, right now, where you are, the world in which I've given you to live in, your small part of it, you can make these aims your aims. 
These can be your motivating factors. Father, I pray as we look into our own hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit showing us and revealing us what's there, that you convict any of us who are living for insufficient motivations, things that aren't worth a life, things that aren't really satisfying, things that won't hold up in judgment, things that will be so much wood, hay, and stubble. And you're showing us and you're teaching us through your word what real life is made of, the sort of thing that keeps you going, the sort of thing that drives you forward, the sort of thing that helps us endure whatever comes our way. Father, this is what I want for me and this is what I want for us. Be people of purpose and passion. Be people who persevere. Be people who encourage one another and finish well together. Father, I pray that that would be us. So, Father, as we look at these testimonies and these words and these things, Father, I pray that we would be driven to know You, experience You, suffer if need be for You, willingly, not backing down, most of all, to be like You all the way to the end. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to do something for you this morning that is quite unlike me. So I'm going to make you a deal here, okay? I'm going to make you an offer. Okay, this is an offer. I told Cecilia before this message, I said, I really have two sermons in one, and I don't, I don't even really have enough time to give one of them. Um, and I'm not a slave to my own system as much as it makes me uncomfortable to deviate from it. But if you will commit to joining us next Sunday, if you'll be back next Sunday. Now, for how many of you can I get a commitment right now that you'll be here Sunday? Raise your hand. Okay, for those of you who didn't raise your hand, um, we're going to sing a song in just a moment, a song of response. And then there's going to be a benediction. That benediction doesn't apply to you, okay? If you're not going to be here next week, you just hang around, and I'm going to preach Acts 26 to you, okay? If you are going to be here next week, that benediction is your go in peace. Is that fair enough? Okay, so we're going to revisit Acts 26, but I don't want you to forget what you've heard this morning, because this is the tie that connects it. This is the behind the scenes that drives it. And when you see this history, which you and I can read through quickly, casually sometimes, and we can see it just almost superficially, what's behind this? It's this. It's this desire to know Christ, to know Him, to experience Him, to receive whatever from His hand He offers to give to us, good or bad, and not quit. Hold on to the end, knowing all the while He's shaping us to be like Jesus. That's, that's our aim. That's our goal.